Hey, Rolf, it's not working for me, mate. No? Yep, okay. Look at that. Anybody seen that sign lately? Down the end of the street here? It's the second time it's happened in the last 12 years. Uh, It could just be kids or it could be opposition. And I looked at it the other day when I took these photos and I thought, should I muck around getting it fixed? Or should it remind me that we will face opposition? And just to leave it like that. Now, there's the, the opinion that says, well, we don't look after our signs, but it's not really our sign, it's Main Rose Department, and we don't really care that it looks like that. But I just wonder if there's a lesson to be learnt. That, yes, when we take a stand on God's word and choose to live by God's principles, some people won't be happy about it. And this may be the, just a very minimal way of showing opposition to what God's doing through the people who are the church here. Something to think about, isn't it? I want to direct you to the verse... Oh, better get my notes. It would be very strange for me to do it off my, off my memory. That just wouldn't work. Last week we were reminded that Jesus encouraged his disciples to take the good news that the kingdom of God is here to the ends of the earth, to all those places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I don't know if you recall this quote from Alexander McLaren. He said... Jesus shows them the armour of power in which they are to be clothed before he points them to the battlefield. So he's reminding them that he was with them, that he would go with them, he would enable them, he would empower them with the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. They would go into the battlefield then. The mission for them to be Jesus' witnesses and to go on that journey to the ends of the earth was going to be a battle for them. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing. It wasn't going to be uh, everybody will welcome the message. In fact, it would be pretty well the opposite, wouldn't it, when you look at church history. Even in Jesus' day, he saw what would happen. He says to them, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That sounds like easy, doesn't it? You know, let's go. Yes, we want to be a lamb amongst the wolves. No. And in John chapter 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. When we identify with Jesus, it's not going to be a bed of roses. There'll be great, amazing, wonderful, blessed times, no doubt about it. But it means that we'll be probably uh, swimming upstream against the current of society in most places where we live. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 6, he reminds them, reminds the Ephesian believers and us today that we need to put on the full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And he talks about our struggle not being against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do we see that? I think sometimes where our eyes are closed to that and we, we just take things around, that happen around about us for granted and we don't actually see that the evil one is behind a lot of the stuff, especially when it's against God's people, against the church, when it's against praying for your fellow student at university. How sad is that? So yes, we think that the devil is behind it and we need to be ready for that. We see persecution when anybody shares their faith. In the book of Acts, 
In fact, throughout all Christian history, from the time of Jesus through today, there has been great persecution of the church, persecution of the gospel. And in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 42, this is what Paul Paul writes. Luke writes. Let, Let me get it right. Luke writes it. Talking about the apostles when they were brought before the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish council of the day. Peter's speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. That sounds like a bed of roses, doesn't it? No. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They knew what they were in for. I had a friend of mine, his name's Steve, came to faith uh, later in life and the elderly Anglican couple that discipled him in, in Sydney said to him, Steve, I can see that you're really keen to follow Jesus but I want to take you to a, a, a parable in the Gospels where Jesus told the story about a king who was preparing to go to war. Before he went to war, he counted the cost. And if he felt he was going to lose, then he'd make peace with the other enemy. But he knew the cost of going to war. And this couple said to Steve, Steve, you need to count the cost of following Jesus. And the cost is that you're going to be in a battle for the rest of your life. Because the greater part of the world will not believe what you believe. I wonder if we are encouraged to count the cost when it comes to following Jesus. Because over the years, there has been a cost to many, many people. In uh, uh, Wikipedia, I don't put a lot of stock in Wikipedia, but sometimes they get it right. Uh, and, uh, and when I checked Wikipedia against some of the books that I have on my library about church history, Wikipedia actually got it right. In Western Europe, there are a few names that stood out. You may not know these names, certainly if you haven't started church history, but let me tell you a little bit about them and what they did. John Wycliffe lived uh, 1320 to 1384 and he urged the church to give up ownership of property, which produced much of the church's wealth. Now, given those days, it was the Roman Catholic Church and uh, he met with persecution from the popes of the day. To give up that ownership of church property and once again embrace poverty and simplicity. That was his aim. He said, get rid of all the extraneous stuff. Get rid of all the costly buildings. Live a life of poverty and simplicity. Don't, don't say, woe is me because I'm so poor, but live a life of simplicity. He urged the church to stop being a servant of the state, which it was in his day, and the state's politics. And then he denied the authority of the Pope. So he was really in their, in their sights. They were gunning for him. He died, a, died of a stroke, but his followers, uh, who were called the Lollards, and that was after one of the other leaders, they were declared heretics and many were killed. Was it easy being a follower of Jesus in those days? No. Jan Hus was another person who lived that time, 1369 to 1415. He accepted some of Wycliffe's views and, and aligned with a group called the Bohemian Reform Movement. And they, they, were, they were grounded. Their aim was to, to be holy before a holy God. 
they saw God as a holy God, righteous, and they encouraged their group to be holy as God wanted them to be holy. It wasn't popular. He was called before the Catholic Council of Constance in 1415 and he was, hand, he was condemned as a heretic and handed over to the state and burned at the stake. He was our brother and he gave his life for the gospel. The Fraticelli, that's I think how you say it. Any Italian backgrounds here? Fraticelli, yeah. Sounds good to me. They were known as uh, um, spiritual Franciscans. They were actually a movement within the Roman Catholic Church. We've got to be careful that we don't wipe out the Roman Catholic Church. There are faithful, born-again followers of Jesus within the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, these were some of them. They followed uh, St. Francis of Assisi and they took a vow of poverty and saw that the wealth of the church was contributing to, to uh, corruption and injustice in their world. And they were declared heretical by one of the popes of the day. And they were sent to uh, a, a pope who was called the Banker, the Banker of Avignon, and he took out punishment on any of the heretics. And the last name up there, Bernard Delicio, I think that's how you say it, he had spent a lot of time battling uh, some of the positions of the church of the day. And he confessed after torture and threat of excommunication to the charge of uh, opposing the inquisitions of the day. So he didn't think the inquisitions were what God wanted. He was defrocked as a, a priest, sentenced to life in prison in chains and solitary confinement to receive nothing but bread and water. He stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ and that was his reward, earthly reward. He died in 1320. So the church, that's, that, that's what I would call early church history after the time of Christ and the, and the church there in the New Testament church, this would be early church history. But things have continued on throughout the world today and I don't know if you're familiar with Open Doors. Brother Andrew initiated that many years ago. But there's persecution today uh, around our world and Open Doors has released a, what they call a world watch list. And if you go onto their website, you, you can see it. There's actually 50 countries that they've listed on their world watch list. I'm not going to go through them all today. I am going to show you where they predominantly lie in the darker orange. The lighter orange is, is less persecuting towards the gospel and the church. But out of these 50 countries... And they're listed on their website. North Korea is number one and, and it goes through others. But these are places where they discourage the practice of faith in Jesus. And you're liable to be uh, jailed, imprisoned, if not ki uh, killed uh, for declaring faith in Jesus and trying to encourage others to believe in Jesus. We heard uh, last week, we saw part of the the uh, video uh, from, from the ladies from Iran, Maryam and Marzieh. There's another chap, his name is John Hassan, I think he's, I've got his picture up there. He is in uh, Nigeria and in this week's study that we're doing in our home groups, he tells his story of the persecution of the church in modern day Nigeria. Maryam and uh, Marzieh, yeah, I'll get it, they were imprisoned for distributing Bibles in their country. 
And Iran is supposed to be a state-controlled country and yet they lean very heavily towards the Muslim side of things, even though Christianity is supposed to be a, a legal religion, they are in prison for distributing Bibles. Um, Hassan has had church buildings burnt down in his town in Nigeria. We don't see that sort of persecution, we don't see that sort of opposition today, do we, in our country? And I wonder if we really care. Uh, uh, there's a few different organisations, Open Doors is one of them. There's a number of organisations that are there to support the persecuted church around the world. And uh, we can pray for them, we can offer finances to encourage those churches, but wherever the gospel has spread, there's been persecution and opposition. I think we should not be discouraged in our community from sharing the gospel. We might face resistance, we might face negativity, we might even face slander from people when they hear that we follow Jesus and we would love to tell them about Jesus. But Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, he says this, verses 14 to 17, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task, Paul asks. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. That should be our attitude in the lifestyle that we live day by day. What did Jesus say to his followers? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So we need to be aware of that. And we don't need to be afraid of it. Just like Phil mentioned this morning, we don't have to be afraid of things because, believe it or not, folks, we know the end of the story, don't we? We know that one day we'll be face to face with Jesus in the new eternity that he's planned for us. So we don't have to be afraid. We do have to be careful and cautious in our world today. What do we do when we find ourselves facing persecution? What does it do? It helps us to grow our faith and it helps us to really understand what we believe so that we don't buckle under that persecution or opposition. I've got a video, a couple of videos, there are only short ones. and The, the guy who is on these is Mike Gore. He is the Australian representative of, or the head of, Open Doors Australia. Listen to some of the stories that he has heard just briefly of some of the folk in churches that he's visited in Southeast Asia. They're very powerful. Let's see if we can get it working. Australian church they see uh, when Jesus becomes free the value of faith drops 
That's a pretty challenging statement, isn't it? Listen to the next one. We have to be careful, don't we? That we don't take our faith in Jesus for granted. That we can see what Jesus is doing in our life every day. I wonder if that's a prayer that each of us should be praying. Lord, open my eyes to see what you're doing in my life every day. He saw, Mike saw that uh, Christians living under persecution have a deep and real dependence upon Jesus. They fix their eyes on him in their difficulties and they see his hand at work. They saw the gift, they saw facing opposition as a gift from God so that they might have a deep and real faith in Jesus. The problem with us as Westerners is that we have this opinion that we are in control of what happens around about us. Many of the people in the persecuted church know that they don't have any control over their society. Someone else is controlling their society. And uh, we will all face trouble, we will all face opposition to the gospel. But for those who are not on the world watch list, it doesn't seem so bad. It doesn't seem so bad. And And... We, are, we have this illusion that we still have some sense of control over our lives. Admittedly, we do in a way in that we vote the politicians in. So if we don't vote, then the, someone's going to get in anyhow. But we, we pray and we ask God before any elections and we, we vote uh, uh, politicians in. But in general, we don't have that control. One writer, Richard Raw, says that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. Let me say that again. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. And, and we, we do that. Australians do that. Most of us have uh, this idea that we're in control of our financial independence. Uh, we choose which bank we bank with. We choose where we save our money. We choose what we do with our money. And, um, and we have a sense of security from that household income and from our jobs, most would say that they're in control there. Most would say that uh, we're in control of life in general and our health, you know, whether we choose to exercise, whether we choose not to, whether we choose to follow the doctor's directions or not. not. Sadly, the control measures are, are leaning towards abortion and, and, uh, and licensed murder through euthanasia. There's this illusion that we're in control over life and death. But the reality is that death could happen to anybody at any time, totally outside their control. And then technology and the media. 
we, we have this illusion that we're in control of these things. My goodness, have you seen some of the news stories lately where, 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 where even some of the technology agencies are out of control? They don't know how to control themselves, let alone what they're putting into the media, social media and technology. But people in general have this illusion of being in control because they don't want to submit their lives to someone who is greater who is in control, the one that we know as our one true Lord and God. I wonder, when people are confronted with the good news of the kingdom of God present, is the sticking point for them surrender? Is the sticking point willingness to bow the knee, as it were, or to acknowledge that God is the greater in their lives. And I think that's the sticking point for many. Lots of times in the Gospels, Jesus is given the option of being in control. Um, He's given the option of taking control of the circumstances, the control of his reputation. What did he do? Do you know this passage? Mark chapter 12, it says this, at once... The Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He could have called down those angels to help him. Oh, sorry, he could have called down those angels to catch him if he jumped off the top of the temple. Satan offered him all sorts of temptations. He chose not to be famous He chose not to put those things into place that would uh, support his reputation. He chose to surrender to God's will for his life. This is the Son of God we're talking about. And in Mark chapter 1 and verse 8, those verses just tell us and remind us that even Jesus' identity was tested, let alone ours, as we follow Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4 is a similar story. And in that place, Jesus was tempted with immediacy, do it now, get an answer to the situation now. He was tempted, he was tempted with legitimacy, you're the son of God, it's okay for you to do this. And he was tempted with glory. If you bow down, you'll be worshipped through the whole world. And those same temptations are before us today. So, Open Doors has got an interesting website. If you ever want a chance to go and see what's happening around the world and appreciate how God has blessed us in this country, go and see what's happening in other countries. But one of the things on Open Doors uh, website, they talk about, all right, we're repeating. Don't ask why there's persecution. Ask where is God in this? On their website they say the common thread is that persecution exists where the gospel is being shared. I think we can see that. For that very reason, Open Doors doesn't exist to stop persecution but to help the local church continue to follow Jesus no matter the cost. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? Just like that chap had the older Asian man say to him, don't stop praying that the church in China will be be persecuted. Oh, there it is. I did have it up there. The question is, will we be faithful with the message and have faith in God's presence with us no matter the circumstances? 
A pastor from Africa was once sharing a story of a very challenging time in his family. And he asked how he deals with the difficult situations in life. To this he responded, I don't ask the question, why is this happening? But rather, where is God? And the good news tell me, tells me that God is with us in whatever the circumstances. I think we heard that in the 21 days of prayer. God doesn't actually take us out of situations. He helps us through situations. This chap, Hassan, is in Nigeria in the city of Jos. Hassan John is his name. And he sees a very similar thing happening over there. He visits a lot of the pastors in refugee camps around that area. People that are uh, fleeing from other uh, persecution of Christians in other countries around Nigeria. They're coming to the camps. And he says this, With the pastors, I try to tell them and teach them that they are God's representative. They are the shepherds of the sheep and therefore they must be able to teach and let people see the love of God in all that is happening. Not that God is absent, no. He is there taking us through. So that's his encouragement to the pastors who themselves are refugees in those refugee camps. The question is not about control. Don't ask where is God. Don't ask why, but where is God? In Acts chapter 10, verses 10 to 16, we're told, as Luke writes, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. This is the story of Peter up on the top of the roof. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Do you remember the story? It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And it's the question that Paul led to and his that led to Paul and his co-workers taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. What God has declared clean, what God has a heart for, that's where you should be. No matter what the world says, no matter what culture says. So for us as individuals and us as a congregation, what should we be thinking about? What should we be thinking about? These are doubled up. Are you personally or are we facing opposition to the gospel? That's for you to answer. Perhaps you are unpopular because of your beliefs expressed at work or in a a situation where you were. I wonder if we should ask the question, if we're not facing opposition, why not? Is our lifestyle not enough to show people that we follow Jesus? Are our words not enough to follow Jesus? Not that we should be craving opposition or persecution. That's not what this is about. But our very lifestyles should be such that people are asking us, why do you live that way? A song that was sung, the song that they wrote for this um, series, Uh, to the ends of the earth, had this line in it. It says, call me wherever your heart wants to go. I wonder if we're ready to do that. Even to the point of facing opposition and following Jesus and possibly even persecution because we follow Jesus. 
It hasn't stopped. It won't stop until Jesus returns. In fact, the Bible tells us we're going to face greater opposition and persecution. What we need to do is be ready for it. And how do we do that? Through our personal daily walk with Jesus. Staying true to him, hearing his voice from his word, looking to see where he's in action in our lives around about us and giving him praise as he takes us through situations. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have given their lives for the sake of the gospel that we have the freedom of living out and sharing with others today. Let's not forget what they've done for us. Let's not forget what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We don't thank you for the suffering. We don't thank you for the persecution. But we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you for the presence that we have by your Holy Spirit with us. We thank you for the encouragement we receive from you and the strength that we get when we face difficult situations. Father, this is the good news of Jesus. This is the kingdom of God present when we're able to experience that individually and together as your church. Father, equip us, prepare us, enable us, strengthen us for the days ahead. We desire to stay true to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before Cheryl comes, just an announcement I forgot earlier. We're preparing the roster for the next term and Jan's doing that for us, Jan Loughton. If you're available to serve in any way in the life of the church, whether it be a welcoming team or, or um, uh, communion stewards or offering or anything like that, please uh, see Jan. Uh, if you're happy to mow the lawn every now and then, uh, see Jan and, and we'll put you on the roster for next term. Thanks, Jan. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. 
Spirit, and you would wrap them in your arms. 